Today is a Father's Day, and I will share my honest feelings. Although I'm more than grateful to God for this blessing of a fatherhood, I can help myself but feel somewhat less appreciated. How come Father's Day comes after Mother's Day? I feel this is a gender bias celebration. For a child to exist and excel, both mother and father have to work together. Why does one celebration come before the other? In other countries like South Korea, they celebrate the Parents' Day for equality. But there is almost a universal discount about the importance of a father's. For instance, my favorite American poet, Robert Frost, once said, you don't have to deserve your mother's love, but you have to deserve your father's love. What does it mean? Mother's love is unconditional, but father's love is conditional? I strongly disagree with Robert Frost. And I think he was confused with a mother's biological connection with her child or a father's less biologically connected relationship. I want to be clear. If biologically possible, I would have breastfed my children and shared the burden with my wife. And I tried. It didn't work. Once again, Robert Frost said another father bias statement. Father is always a Republican toward his son, and his mother is always a Democrat. I really resent that statement. Considering the status of today's Republican Party, I don't like the association of fathers with Republicans, nor that of mothers with Democrats. I tell you over and over again, Christian, we are independent and prophetic. We don't side with any partisan politics. Well, what's the point in my ranting? Listen to me, you fathers. We are domestically marginalized. Face it, we have advantages and discount before the mothers of our children and our wives. But I have a good news for you. God loves the marginalized and uses the marginalized. God can use any marginalized fathers far more than magnified mothers if we forsake him with a humility and commitment. So today, I want to share a story of a marginal father in the Bible. I call him average father because he does not stand out in the Bible. He was not an obvious figure. He's an obscure figure. Like a study of the other uh, marginal figures in the Bible, we need to use our extra high definition spiritual microscope to see the impact of his life. And by the way, I love to study and preach on the lives of marginal people in the Bible. Do you remember the sermon about Tychicus, Paul's letter carrier? And also a few years ago, we talked about Caleb and the Shemgah, the faithful Gentile leaders of Israel in the book of Judges. So today's person is another obscure figure in the Bible that can open our hearts and imagination about God's amazing grace and surprising joy. His name is Asher. Does anyone recognize the name Asher? Who is Asher? Where is his story in the Bible? Today, we will look at his marginal family background first, and then his meaningful family legacy. First, we're going to see the difficult beginning and then delightful ending of his life. And through Asher's story, I want all of us, especially average fathers like me and average people like you to receive God's comfort 
and we dedicate our lives to our ultimate Heavenly Father. So let's look at this first, his beginning, his family, I'll call it almost a miserable family origin. First time we see Asher was at Genesis chapter 35, where Jacob's 12 sons were enlisted. So let's look at the Genesis 35. Uh, Jacob had 12 sons. The sons of Leah, Reuben, the firstborn of Jacob, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, sons of Rachel, Joseph, Benjamin, sons of Rachel's servant Bilhah, Dan, and Naphtali, sons of Leah's servants Zilpha, God, and Asher. Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Patam Aram. Jacob had 12 sons and one daughter who was not mentioned here. Among 12 sons, Asher was mentioned last in the official family genealogy. It implies his social standing within his own family. In fact, chronologically speaking, Asher was an eighth son of Jacob, but his mother was a servant of Leah named Zilpha. That's why his name was mentioned at the end. He is a younger son of house servant. He was last of his brothers in terms of social significance. So let me read his story and how he got his name. So his story starts with Genesis actually 29 and 30. Genesis 39, Jacob had two wives who happened to be sisters, Leah and Rachel. Rachel was younger, and she was a lover, lover of uh, Jacob's love of love of love of his life. But Rachel's father and Jacob's uncle Laban felt bad for Rachel's older sister Leah for being bypassed, so he deceived Jacob. So Jacob ended up marrying both. I'm skipping a lot of a juicy story here, so I hope you can read. Genesis 39, I, I'm telling you, some of the Bible stories, special Jacob story, can easily beat any daytime soap or K-drama. After marrying two sisters, Jacob obviously showed his uh, favoritism to Rachel, and God has a mercy for Leah, and they helped her. So Genesis 29, 31 said, The Lord saw Leah was, a lo was not loved, so he enabled her to conceive. So Leah bore four sons, for Jacob in straight, Reuben was a firstborn, meaning, behold, a son was born to us. Simeon, one who, meaning, God hears. Levi, God will attach my husband to me because I gave him three sons. And then finally, fourth son, Judah. That's where she said, praise the Lord. Now let me read Genesis chapter 30, verse 1 to, th 1 to 13. Okay, Genesis chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I will die. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God? Who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here is a Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He has listened to my plea and given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. He, that means God judged. 
And the Rachel's servant, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I have had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. And she named him Naphtali, meaning my struggle. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpha and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant Zilpha bore Jacob a son. And then Leah said, What good fortune! So she named him God, Gad, meaning troop. And Leah's servant Zilpha bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, How happy, happy I am! The woman will call me happy. She named him Asher. Asher meaning happy. Asher was born in the midst of love quarrels caused by his father. He came to the world in the midst of a domestic proxy war of two jealous sisters and wives. He was named happy not by his own mother, but by his mother's mistress. When you look at the way that Asher started out, I'm not sure how happy he could be. He wasn't from Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. He wasn't even born from Leah, but from one of her handsmaids. Asher didn't have honor of being the oldest son like Reuben, nor was he the strongest son, that probably Judah. He wasn't the daughter on the youngest son, that was Benjamin. He wasn't the favorite, that was Joseph. A commentator said, Asher lived his early life in the shadows of his other half-brothers, learning to be content with the leftover. Learning to be content with the leftover. Besides that, Asher grew up in one of the history's most dysfunctional families. There was a parental favoritism, sibling rivalry, deceit, long-standing resentment. I hope you know there are really no perfect families in the Bible. There is a hardly single model family for anyone to look up to with either awe or envy. For instance, Adam and Eve are no sooner out of the garden than one of their sons murdered the other. Noah's sons were divided about how to cover their father's drunken shame. Jesse's sons, the brothers of David, they were brave and loyal in service of their country and King Saul, but they were also very capricious and cruel to their youngest brother David when he came to help them in battle against Goliath. David himself is a man after God's own heart, Israel's greatest king, yet he couldn't manage his own household. He had to flee from rebellion of his son, Absalom, who harbored a grudge against David ever since David failed to punish Amnon, who violated Absalom's sister, Tamar. Solomon was the wisest man in the Bible, but he raised a very unwise son, Rehoboam, who ended up dividing the kingdom. Even in Jesus' family, we see the same thing. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus was healing the sick and fulfilling his call as a Messiah, and his brother and sisters came outside trying to get him home because they were convinced that he was crazy. Bible most often portrays a family, not as a Norman Rockwell's painting, beaming in gratitude around the Thanksgiving turkey, but as a series of a broken relationship in need of a redemption. But that does not excuse 
Asher, what Asher and his brothers did. Asher later participated in something in his youth that was terribly wrong. He joined in on the selfish and cold-hearted scheme to have his half-brother Joseph thrown into the pit and later sold as a slave to Egypt. He would later watch his beloved father grief their loss. Years later, he was a part of the delegation of brothers who were petrified to see their brother Joseph again, now as a second in second command in Egypt. Asher certainly didn't have a great start. How about us? Do you have a great start? I grew up wishing, wondering, what if I were born in a different and more loving, actually wealthier family than mine? It was after Jesus saved me, I began to see God's surprising blessings, actually great blessings in disguise through my broken families. Now, let me talk about the more importantly about uh, Asher's beautiful legacy. If he had a broken beginning and miserable family, he had an incredibly, surprisingly, a meaningful legacy. I'm not sure when or how it happened, but somewhere along the line, something began to shift in Asher's life. Somehow he became a different man. We will never know for sure what brought about his transformation, but we do know for sure he left behind a positive legacy of wisdom, character, and service to his nation at large. A legacy not only attached to him, but also to his descendant. So here we learn an important truth. Remember, where we begin our life does not necessarily determine who we become. Where we begin our life does not necessarily determine who we become. We become, uh, now here we see the biblical fact and promise that with God, we can overcome any bad beginning. God can lead us to transcend our broken home relationships and make some positive impacts in life. Now, how do we know that? There are some fascinating stories about, record about fast, the, uh, Asher's legacy. First, we, we know that when Asher went to Egypt, he became a father of four sons. So Genesis 46, 17, the one that you see in the screen, it says, Sons of Asher, Imna, Ishba, Ishbi, and Beria, and their sister was Sarah. Okay. Uh, Karin, you can, you can stop the, uh, uh, sharing the screen so people can see my face. Thank you. <laughs> now, what's fascinating, there's a, something very important here. Because Sarah, the Asher's daughter, wasn't mentioned here. What's so fascinating about you know, Sarah being mentioned? Because Sarah was the only granddaughter of a Jacob mentioned among 53 grandsons in this family tree. That's not because they, weren't, they were not other granddaughters. It was a customary in patriarchal society to only list the sons. That's why Dina, Jacob's only daughter, was not named before. But for some reason, this granddaughter or woman named Sarah couldn't be left out. Here, 
Although it's not recorded in the Bible, Jewish history says that she was a woman of great virtue and went on to become a tremendous impact. It is almost overwhelming and odd to see how much Sarah was beloved, beloved, and even immortalized, immortalized in Jewish tradition. You just Google and check it out what Jewish people talk about this Sarah. And uh, Jewish uh, rabbinic uh, literature Midrash actually said Sarah was actually Asher's uh, uh, stepdaughter. Stepdaughter. Apparently, according to Jewish tradition, Asher had married a widow named uh, Hadra when Sarah was uh, three years old. So Asher was a father of uh, what we call blended family. He welcomed Sarah into his home and raising, raising her as his own and to be included in Jacob's lineage as her only granddaughter, she must have held a special place in his heart and lived an exemplary life. There is a story in Midrash that when Joseph was reunited with his brothers and they sent them back to Canaan to bring back their father, his father Jacob, to him in, uh, uh, to Joseph in Egypt, he ordered his brother not to alarm his father because he's an old man and the, 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 the exciting news might give him a, a heart attack. So brothers, when they return, they ask Sarah for help. And this is how Sarah, you know, uh, you know eased Jacob with the great news. Sarah picked up the lyre and played, and played the song that uh, Joseph, my uncle, was still alive and he did not die. He lives and rules all of the land of Egypt. And she played it so beautifully several times. And Jacob, even though he didn't know that his son is still alive, but he liked the even idea. And he said, I like that idea. You are really touching my soul. And when Jacob was saying that, his sons came in with all the gifts that Jake, uh, uh, Joseph sent. And that's when Jacob really believed what happened. So again, that's the, you know, uh, uh, just a little glimpse of uh, wisdom and character of Sarah. So once again, Jewish tradition, they, they, they brag, they, 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 they revere Sarah for character and wisdom. And we have to recognize Genesis 46 recorded the 70 names of 70 family members who went down to Egypt with Jacob. 69 were men. And Sarah was the, the only woman. And in Jewish tradition, Sarah was a seven-year member. Now, not only the Asher was a father of four sons and stepdaughter, but also when his father, Jacob, was preparing to die, he brought each of his 12 sons to his bedside, and there he was giving them a blessing. And we have to look at the kind of blessing he gave to his son, especially Asher, because he gave a very special blessing to Asher, and you can tell what kind of life Asher kind of lived. Not all Jacob's blessings were good. Some of them is really honest because sometimes, you know, honesty is a blessing. So for instance, chapter, uh, uh, Genesis 49, verse uh, 5 and 6 says, Simon and Levi were brothers, and their swords were weapons of violence, and let me not enter their council. Let me not join the assembly. 
for they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. So Simon and, and Levi, they, you know, Jacob said, "Well, you, you, you are my sons, but you guys are scaring me." That's what you know. It's the last word to his son, two sons. But for uh, Asher, Jacob reserved a unique word of blessing. So listen, what Jacob said to Asher, Genesis forty nine twenty. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide a delicacies fit for king. Asher's food will be rich. He will provide a delicacy fit for the king. What does that mean? Kings back then, and even some today, take food seriously. They not just eat the best food, but they eat the food in the most safe way or safest food. Many kings were killed by food poisoning. Therefore, Asher's food will be rich and he will provide a delicacy fit for king means that he will become man of integrity and trust that everyone, even kings, desire to have. Asher is not only happy, but also make others happy. You know, G.K. Chesterton once said, There is a great man who makes every man feel small, but the real great man is a man who makes every man feel great. Asher was the later great man. Unlike Simeon and Levi, who were threatening to others, Asher was truthful and trustworthy to others. Fast forward 400 years later. Asher is a long gone, but his descendant aren't. And tribe Asher is still very much alive. And the people of Israel are getting ready to conquer the promised land. And Moses is prepared. Moses is about to die. So before he die, he gives his own blessing to each of our tribes, and he runs through the eleven tribes. And for some reason, he doesn't address them in the customary order, but wait until the end to speak about the tribe of Asher, and listen how he blessed them. About the Asher, Moses said, "Most blessed." Of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers. Let him let him bathe his feet in oil. The bolt of your gate will be iron and bronze, and your strength will equal your days. I like to sort of think a little bit more about this Moses blessing for Asher's tribe. First, you know uh, Moses here. Uh, and bear with me. Uh, this is amazing. This is amazing uh, uh, things to say about the man's legacy, especially men who started as uh, inauspiciously as Asher. And a reminder to all of us that the, especially to the fathers among us, that we simply cannot measure impact of our life during our lives. We don't always get to see the legacy we live. We can see always see how the choices we make today will impact our children and our children's children and even their children. Here is a man who seemed to very who seemed very average. He was a man raised in one of the most dysfunctional homes recorded in the Bible. He is a man who made some huge mistakes early in his life, left deep wounds in his family. Sprinkle on top of that. 
added the challenges of raising a blended family of four sons and stepdaughter, while married to a woman who had lost her first husband. Most of us would think Asher wouldn't produce much of anything lasting at all. But look at the, what Moses said about Asher and his descendant. First, Moses said, most blessed of sons is Asher. You know, this is a very hard to translate the Hebrew expression because that's why, you know, uh, Bible translated different. NASB, New American Standard Bible, translated this way. More blessed than sons is Asher. And then King James translated, let Asher be blessed with more children. You know, one thing we know is that the blessedness was often measured in the culture by number of one's descendant. The more descendant you have, more blessings you receive from God. That's how people assume. In the book of Numbers, we are told that not long after Exodus, Asher's descendant multiplied to include more than 41,500 uh, uh, 41, fighting men. In Numbers 141, that means before, when they started the Exodus. I mean, when they, yeah, just came out of the Exodus or began to wander in the wilderness. Forty years later, at the end of the book of Exodus, Numbers chapter 26, the number of a clan of Asher, the fighting men, grew to 53,400. This is remarkable because it's an increase of nearly 30%. And it's a doubly incredible because the total number of Jewish Israel's fighting men decreased during the same time. And God definitely you know, blessed Asher with more descendants than others. And this is something every father desired and should pray for. Not just God would give us, not just a physical creation, but we will increase our spiritual descendant, posterity, that God will help us produce our faith in others. Yes, along with our physical children, and they become also spiritual children. That's the ultimate goal of a Christian parenting. I pray that all of us have our own spiritual children through the gospel of Christ. Because Paul called Timothy, he's a true son in faith, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 2. And then Paul even told the Galatians that he'd be in the pain of a childbirth until Christ was born and formed in them. I pray that we all have a spiritual children in our life. And second blessing that Moses said to Asher uh, about his descendant is this. Let him be favored by his brothers. The word favor means to approve, to be pleased with, to delight in. Asher would be loved by his brothers. There would be sweet unity between his tribe and the rest of the tribes of Israel. It's almost like he'll be everyone's favorite. There is no reason to be suspicious about this. The Bible talks a lot about blessings having favor with others. This is unusual for, but this is unusual for brothers. You know, research shows that up to 45% of adult siblings in America have a relationship marked by rivalry or distance. 
I know some uh, 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 pastors who haven't talked to their brothers for over 30, 40 years. Asher was a kind of man to build a bridge rather than fence. You know, it reminds me of something said in the book of Proverbs, which said, The Lord takes a pleasure in anyone's way. He causes his enemies to make a peace with them. We should pray that we might walk in peace and have a favor with those around us. It is inevitable that disagreement and dispute and times of animosity will come between us and our brothers and sisters. But our prayer should be, we will be the first to seek reconciliation and quick to forgive. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Also, Ephesians 4.32 says that be kind and compassionate with one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Forgave you. And the third blessing that God gave to Asher, uh, Moses gave to Asher was to let him bathe his feet in oil. What does that mean? Back then, washing one's feet was a constant need in the dusty ter terrain. But only the wealthy had the luxury of using oil olive oil to wash and soothe their feet. But this makes good sense because later when Joshua divided up the promised land between 12 tribes, he gave a tribe of Asher a piece of land in the area of Galilee where known for good soil for olive trees. And this is where Asher's tribe, tribe of Asher settled. And uh, I find this is a very... Uh, Oh, actually, it's a very interesting uh, connection because, as you know, Galilee, especially when you look at the map, the tribe of Asher's, they live the place where our Lord Jesus grew up, the town called Nazareth. And just like Asher's tribes are blessed to obey their feet in the oil, Bible said, you know, Ephesians 2, 6 said, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are also seated with Christ and riches in Christ, in, our, in riches in Christ. Now, let me bring out the, the last you know, a, a blessing that Moses you know, told the Asher's you know, tribe. The bolt of your gate will be iron and bronze, and your strength will equal your days. This is a promise of a military strength, the ability to stand against your enemies. The land that Asher inherited in the promised land was a northern tip of Israel. They promised they would give them strength sufficient to stand against the enemies who would invade them from north. By the way, because they are in the northern tip of the north, they are the first tribe to receive the foreign invasion. So that's why Moses said, May God give you strength to defend yourself. But here, Moses said very, very interesting, uh, uh, interesting thing. He said, your strengths will equal your days. Your strengths will equal your days. Another translation said, as your days go, so shall your strengths will be. I want you to remember this because we are constantly under attack. 
And Bible said our enemy, Satan, prowls like a, a, a pro, devil, prowls like a, a, a lion, roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. But we must learn here one thing very important, because God will give us strength to resist the devil in time. Notice this. What Moses says, God's strength will come to you daily as you need it. That's what Moses says. Your strengths will equal your days. You don't get a strength from God for tomorrow's trials. You get God's strength for today's trials. Let me illustrate. Let me illustrate this. Corey Tenbun, great Dutch Christian, who almost died in the concentration uh, Nazi concentration camp because it, uh, their family hit the Jewish refugees and they were taken to uh, the, the uh, concentration camp. Corinne Tenbun told shared this story. The conversation took place between her and her father when she was a little girl. One day, she called her father, Daddy, I'm afraid that I will never be strong enough, enough to be a mother for Jesus Christ. And the Corrie Tenbun's father wisely respond, responded, Tell me, when you take a train trip from Harlem to Amsterdam, when do I give you money for the ticket? Do I give you money to buy ticket three weeks before the trip? No, Daddy, you give me the money for the ticket just before we get on the train. That's right. He replied, so it is God's strength. Our wise Father in heaven knows when, we, when you are going to need things too. Today, you don't need a strength to be a martyr. But as soon as you are called upon the honor of facing death for Jesus, God will supply strength you need just in time. Corey Tenboom said, later, I took a great comfort in my father's advice. Later, I had to suffer for Jesus in Nazi concentration camp, and God indeed gave me all the courage and strength I needed. Moses is saying to descendants of Asher and to us, same thing, you will face challenge from enemies, but you will face a hardship and grief and sickness and persecution, but don't worry about tomorrow, because as your days are, so shall your strength will be from the Lord. Amen? That's why, you know, I started a daily breath. We need a daily breath for each day. So those of you who haven't, you know, participated in daily breath, I encourage you. Those of you who cannot make it at 7 o'clock, listen to our uh, 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 podcast. Uh, and you can start from day one. I actually encourage you to start with a, 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 from day one. Once again, he is a father who seemed very average. He's a man who raised in dysfunctional family. He's a man who sold his own brother into slavery, lied to his father for decades to cover it up. Here he is, father of a five in what very likely was a blended family. No kings or judges and priests came from his lineage. But here is a very average man who you think wouldn't produce much of anything lasting at all but he's a man who left a legacy that was greatly blessed, a legacy of abundant posterity, legacy of a favor with his brothers, legacy of a feet dipped in the oil, legacy of a strength to withstand the enemy. Let me close. 
Dear brothers and sisters, The story of Asher, story of an average father. I want us to really take in and be, take, take this story prayerfully and think about it. Because we are very much like Asher. And like Asher, you know, we may not get to see much of a legacy that we are about to live. We may not see how the choices that we make today will impact our children and our children's children and their children, but they will. We simply cannot measure impact of our life at any point during our life. So take a heart and live our life as if every choice is a personal investment that will pay dividends down the road through our descendant both physical and spiritual descendant. Let me repeat that. Every day, our choice is a personal investment that will pay dividends to our children and their children, both physical and spiritual. And on that note, I want to remind you two things. Church is the ultimate blended family. As Asher led the blended family, church is also blended family of God. Church is blended with every human diversity. Paul said in Galatians 3, there, there is no Jew or Greek, free or slave or man or woman. We are all in Christ. In the church of Jesus Christ, we have all kinds of human beings because Jesus died for all kinds of people. I'm really encouraged by Christ's prayer that God loves both radicals and racists both the liberals and the whatever conservatives. God loves good and bad, beautiful, I mean, pretty and ugly. God loves everybody. Church, we are racially, ethically blended. We are politically, ideologically blended. I want to tell you again, in Christ, we can have a real, real good political debate and conversation. Church should be a place where we can have a conversation without condemnation. Church is where we can have a dialogue without the defensiveness. Church is a place should be that honest conversation with the honest, with, with the holiness and the hope in God who, who brings us together. And church is we are blended socially and economically. In the future, I, I warn all of us and I want us to prepare that we, we are blended even gender wise. Why do I all say this? Whatever the world challenged us, we will take it in because Jesus took all of us. We are blended family founded in the blood of Jesus Christ who died for everybody. So let us be blended family of God. Let us welcome one another just as you welcomed Sarah and her mother. And let us be a good blender, faithful blender, loving, caring blender like Asher. Let's pray.